In part two of the Legendary Legends series, Robert Ory talks about hazing back in the day in the mid-90s, his favorite shot of all time, some of his favorite teammates he's ever played with, and much, much more. Check it out. Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. You remember, I think, was it 05 or 07? We were on a long losing streak. I want to say it was 05. We're in New York. And um, me, and you, me and you had went out to eat. We're, we're next door hotel at Tao. Eating. Uh-huh. And um, we're like, we got to do something. We got, I was like, y'all are losing. Y'all, y'all are sucking it up right now. And uh, we're like, everybody needs to get out and clear their mind. And uh, we're like, who, who, who can we get to just go out? <laughs> you remember? You remember all those? You remember who all went out that night? Man, I, I that was a good it. night. It was funny because everybody called me. Like I said, then they said, "This is the one time that I realized that what they say about the Spurs is true. Nobody on this team knows how to go out and party." And so it was. I remember because at first it was it was Brett Barry that called me, mm-hmm. and then it was Manu, and then it was Tim, then it was Fabricio. And uh, who else was with her that we night? Tried, we tried to get Tony to go, but Tony Tony was doing something else. Tony was with Eva that night. And then we ran into uh, Big Jack. <laughs> yep. Big Jack that night. We all just hung out, um, drank, and, you know, some somebody got a little bit too drunk, couldn't make it shoot around or practice the next day. <laughs> and then Everybody we was like, hurting. got <laughs> that, right? So, yeah. And a win the championship yeah. that year. Mm-hmm. I, that was that was oh seven. I think it was oh seven. Yeah, that yeah. was good. That was good. That was that was that was actually one of the good ones. And then uh, Jock Vaughn was on that squad because Jock. I think Jock was with us too. Jock yeah. had went out. I, I, Jock Vaughn went out. It was the you know the span the the Argentinians was in Argentinians Tim uh, Manu. Manu, Manu for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he still has that leather jacket that uh, he wasted something on in a, in a ride home. <laughs> I, I know me and Brent talked about that the other day, you know. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm always, every time I, I, you know, look up and see Brent working for the Spurs, I'm like, I have to do a double take. <laughs> Going back to some of your first years in the league, um, you know, most people – younger generation know Robert Ory the shooter. Well, you know, myself, CY, and people of our, our age, we know Robert Ory the banger. He's a dunk on people's head. You know, yeah. so talk about, you know, how your game evolved over the years. You're you're pretty much the prototypical stretch for, you know, you you your your game lasted multiple decades, could still translate to today's game. Now talk about just how players can reinvent themselves and to have a long, uh, long lasting career. You know, it's it's so funny because I remember the day I became a four. You know, I was always a small four. Even in college, I was small four playing center. Um, uh, we traded away Otis Thorpe, and I looked around the locker room. And I'm like, oh, crap. 
I got to play power forward. Because, you know, even though we had Pete Chilcutt and Chucky Brown, I'm like, oh, crap. I, I got to play power forward. And it changed me mentally it may, it, because it, be, it made me want to get stronger. I remember I went from wearing um, 225 to 245. I got stronger. I lost some of my hops because I moved to power forward and I changed my workout regimen and I changed how I ate and did a lot of things. And, and it was so funny. I'm like, man, if I didn't have to move to power forward, I would have stayed slim and trim and not try to bulk up. And I kept my hops and all this kind of stuff. But I think the weirdest thing is back in 2005, we playing uh, Detroit in the finals. And my son, who is now 21, he was talking. We was like talking like, Daddy, do you know how to dunk? I'm like, dude, I used to dunk all the time, right? And so, of course, I get that, that nasty dunk on Rip Hamilton. And after the game, I'm so excited because, you know, I finally proved to my son that I can dunk. It's a great dunk. So I go to him. I said, do you see Daddy dunk? And he was with my father. My father looked at me. He was like, he said, we were in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, man. So it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's funny how you, in the blink of an eye, you can miss something fantastic. And, you know, my son went to the bathroom and missed one of my best dunks live. But he's. He's seen it enough now because after that I played it enough for him to so see your daddy got hops. <laughs> when you when you moved from the three to the four, what were some of the guys that you know you played against that were, you know, that's when the league was really physical. You know, you had big power four strong guys like Carl Malone and uh Kevin Willis and these kind of guys back then, you know. What were some of your toughest matchups back then? Yeah, it, I hated I hated Garden Charles Barkley. You know, he was his center of gravity was so low, he could do everything. I, I hated guarding Grandmama, Larry Johnson. Um, I hate getting stuck on Rasheed Wallace, even even with Tim. There's so many of these guys that were taller than me, and, and the guys that were shorter than me were stronger than me, so I was in a quandary. You know, you, you if you're going taller, you're still as strong as you, and they're taller. If you're going smaller, they're stronger than you. And so it, it was difficult, you know, to adjust, but – Luckily, you know, my first couple of years, you know, when I was with the Rockets, I moved to power forward. I was kind of at an advantage because I got to bring them away from the basket. You know, and as time goes on, everybody adapts to playing us and, you know, systems change. And you just be like, no, don't go to the post. Just, pop, you know, just, just post up, you know, spot up, shoot threes, do that. So it, it, it changed for me. And and I I look back on my career and, and those are moments where I've been still went to coach like, dude, you ain't going to just, you know, know tight cast me as a, a spot up shooter it's like I, you know here's a guy I scored 40 I scored 20 I can score I can go in the post I can do this but you know I wasn't a person to you know step up like that so okay you want me to spot up I just go over here and spot up and do what you asked me to do <laughs> what do you think about the guys nowadays everybody wants to go away from the basket you know everybody like you know guys like Joel Embiid and uh you know AD and uh Towns, like kind of all these guys are playing on perimeter. You know, what what would you say to you know speak on these the guys that you know don't only have I don't want to say one dimensional, but you know live outside the perimeter more than uh, going inside. Yeah, I, I look at those guys and I want and I, I said, all right, look at what you're doing. I says when you're in the post, nobody can stop you. When you go out to the three point line, eh, who cares about you? But it's it's so ingrained in their minds that they have to shoot threes. And I, and I want you to think about this. Take a guy like Tim Duncan, Akeem Olajuwon, these guys that could shoot it from the outside, who did they still average twenty plus points? And and 
and these guys aren't averaging the points they had. And you got to think about this. The possessions were half the possessions. And, and, I don't, and they always talk about this analytical stuff. I'm like, um, analyticals, yeah, but do you understand? These guys average 26 points on, on 60, 70 possessions. These guys are averaging 26 points on 120 possessions. So they get more shots. But yet, I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand it. I'm like, you know, maybe, you know, I guess, you know, they want to just shoot up threes because chicks dig the long ball, like in baseball, <laughs> you know. But I just think it's more efficient to kill someone in the post, make people. Because when you're playing basketball, there's no coach, anybody that I think, if a player is just killing you in the post, is going to let that continue to happen. So they're going to have to have a double team, and that's going to make easier shots from people from the perimeter. You know, my whole thing was make the game easy. Don't make the game hard on yourself. Yeah, you know, it's it's crazy because there ain't, ain't too many true post players anymore in, in the game. You know, I always said um, I was blessed to be around you, Tim, Tim uh, K-Dub. We had um, – I even had 5-0 my first year there. And uh, just, just seeing real post players work as opposed to a five who – all he wants to do is shoot a three. You know that that baffles me. You know, it's, uh, and I used to say that's lost. Yeah, it it is. And um, putting science into something where in the sports like analytics, you know, that's that's math to me. But you know, go out there and play. Yeah. And, and the people that are doing these analytics are, the, in my opinion, are guys who who never played basketball. They're like they they found a way to be a part of the game. Which mm-hmm. I applaud, but uh, you know, yeah. analytics don't need to be in any sport. You know, I, I mean, people always talk about the analytics, analytics of a game. I says, you take out the Warriors, take off the take out the Warriors, and show me what team with analytics has won a championship because they live and die by the threes. You can't you can't tell me anybody that's done that. You know you you know you go back and look at you know when the Heat had their little run. It was inside, outside. You go back and look at, you know, Dallas, even though they was a team, Dirk spent a lot of his time on the inside, you know. So even Spurs, even though we shot a lot of threes, but we still majority post-game inside, outside. And everybody looks at, you know, it's, this, it's the new and shiny model. You know, you, you think about uh, in every sport, think about football, everything you want to do with the spread offense. That's what everybody's running now. All right, you know, we got to find a way to start ready. You know, in college football, you got to you know no huddle. You got to stop that. It's like, okay, this team was successful, but did they win a championship? And everybody looking, okay, well, they did it in uh, Golden State. Well, Golden State had three of the most elite guys shooting it. That's why they did it, you know. And they had a good defense, too. So so people don't look at the bigger pitches. They just look at the success of one individual team and how they uh, approached and how it helped them. Like, okay, why are you going to get a guy who's going to shoot, you know, 20% from three, the, the jack up a lot of threes. It's just idiotic to me. You want to send it like you want to send your best hitter, uh, hitter up to the plate that's only hitting the, the 200 <laughs> and, 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 and the World Series, then you need a hit. You're not going to send a 200 guy up yet. So you should send a 200 guy up to shoot a freaking three. <laughs> hey, Rob, I got a question for you. You're around the game so much. You always hear about the next, you know, Steph Curry. Next Steph Curry is Trey Young. The next LeBron and Zion, the list goes on and on and on. Who is a guy that's, that has come in the last 12 or so years since you retired 
that you could have said, man, that's the next Robert Ory. <laughs> uh, man, you know, think about I, I can never say that for one reason. Like, when I played basketball, um, I hated dribbling the basketball. I didn't want to – I'm a one, two, three dribble guy. I don't I like – I like running without the ball, slashing, cutting, taking one dribble and bouncing on somebody. It's, it's, it's weird. But, you know, you look around the league, it's, it's so many – I remember – when I first saw this guy, it was Rudy Gay. I said, oh, Rudy Gay reminds me of me. And then, of course, he started howling rock more, doing all that stuff. I said, well, he passed me on me. But I, I don't really, you know, then I looked at Coos when he came again. Oh, Coos is me. But I was like, I never shot the ball as much as Coos. But if I had to pick someone, it would be Coos. You know, it, it, the difference is Coos had better handles than me. But I wish I could make Coos play defense like I could play. You know, that, that's the big difference there. So, but. Other than that, there's no really like slim six nine guy that because you think anybody like that they're leaps and bounds past me, and you got other guys that are you know beneath me when it comes to playing both ends of the floor. Going back on your career, what was what teams do you think uh, were the best? What was your best team that you played on? Because you played on some some extraordinary teams. Which yeah. which team stood out to? Stood out best to you. Minus, hold on, minus the Phoenix Suns. Little, yeah. Of, <laughs> minus that little, minus that little. Cup of coffee. Cup of coffee. We'll come back to that. <laughs> um, you know, it's weird. I think um, I look at the 2001 Laker team um, where we beat the brakes off everybody in the finals. That team was pretty good. You know, we were we were pretty much stacked from the you know from eight to ten guys uh, that could get on the court at any time. I look at the 95 team with the Rockets. I look at the, the 2005 team with the Spurs. You know, and it's so it's so weird that I look at the 2016 with the Spurs. I thought that team was freaking good. But, yet, you know, uh, we lost to Dallas. We went on to win it that year. But it, it's like I played on a lot of incredible teams. And you had the three, the one, two, three punch from San Antonio. You had the one, two punch in L.A., you had the, the the big punch with Dream and, and Clyde and in Houston. So I was I was I was I was very fortunate to play on a lot of good teams. But I, I just think that team we had with Kobe and Shaq and you know uh, Rick Fox and Derek Fisher, that team was pretty damn good because Kobe was, you know, he wasn't at his peak, but he was but you know a season from his peak. Shaq was at his peak because he was in shape. He loved basketball, and he was just dominating, you know. So it was – just because of that combination, of, you know, I don't think that, that that duo, probably, you know, one of the top duos ever to play the game. So that, that, that 2001 Lakers team was probably my best team. The Simple Pour is a beverage concierge service specializing in creating flavorful crafted punches for all of your events and needs. From their house favorites to the custom creations, they have a beverage that's going to satisfy every taste bud you have. Certified mixologist Kevin Barber literally pours his heart into each beverage. You have the individual 12-ounce bottles, or if you want to step it up to the big boy gallon. Some of the heavy hitters on the menu include To Kill Your Blues with that fresh citrus, fan favorite Green Goblin, and my favorite Henny Punch. No Referees Podcast and a sip of pour have mixed up a new drink for you. Enjoy 15% off your entire purchase by logging on to the website, thesimplepourhtx.com. Enter promo code NOREFEREES15 at the time of checkout. The Simple Pour. Simple name, extraordinary taste.
Rob, I'm gonna ask you a little something, a little, a little funny, a little funny moment. You know, uh, you you young guy coming in with, uh, with with the with the Rockets with a bunch of veterans when you came in the league. Uh, I remember you coming in. Me growing up in in Dallas and in Arlington, I was a huge Rockets fan because I'm Nigerian, and I was a huge Akeem Olajuwon fan. So I remember when you came in, nobody could pronounce your name. I mean, that was the very first thing. Nobody could pronounce your name, and. Yeah. You know, I just want to ask, you know, what was it like having those kind of veterans back then? You know, did they play any uh, hazing things on you? Did they give you the game to take you under your wing? You know, you hear a lot now, you know, the, 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 the veterans <laughs> like put popcorn in dudes' cars and things of that nature, get the donuts. You know, kind of give us some insight on what it was like being a, a rookie back in the day when you had like real veterans. Well, you know, it, it was it was fun for me. Um, I think I was very fortunate. I had great seniors in front of me you know uh, dream would talk me about the business of basketball tree Rollins just talked me about you know playoff positioning and otis just was like hey this is just how, this is about being a professional you know otis used to always make me get up and meet him for breakfast before every game we would go to ihop and have breakfast he and i and just talk about the game before the game um uh, and then just going out and, and, and playing he took care of me he took me on his wing and and I think the only hazing they did was, you got to realize, when I was a rookie, we didn't fly commercial. <laughs> I mean, prior, we flew commercial. So it, we didn't have a practice facility. So we might be practicing at um, Texas Southern. And uh, Tree Riles would come and was like, yo, Rook, I want you to fly with me. I'm like, what? And like, yeah, go home, meet me at the airport. I said, what time you leave? I said, we supposed to leave at 5 o'clock. He said, no, I'm leaving at 3 o'clock. Meet me there. I would have to literally run home, throw stuff in the bag, and then meet him at the airport so he had to travel by himself. So he had things like that. And then they used to always take the basketballs and whenever we were on the road and doing shit around and throw them all over the gym. So I had to get all the balls up, rack them up. And then I also had to pass out the jerseys before shoot around, pass out the uniforms, the bags. And, you know, back then guys would change rooms. You don't know what room they are in. And so it, it wasn't like what we used to do in San Antonio, make guys bring donuts for shoot around. And, but I didn't have it bad. I know I've been on some teams where we gave some guys some heckling. And I'm going to just keep it. Let's leave it at that. No, 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 no. There's no referees. Give us a story of a, 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 a story where you was the veteran and you gave a, a task to a young fella. And give me a time where a young fella, like, kind of bucked at you. It was like, no, nah, I ain't doing it. Oh, man, Ruben. Ruben's the only guy that ever bumped at us. You know, we tell Ruben Patterson to do something. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. So, you know, one day we just said, you know what? Okay, we got you. You don't want to do anything. So we got Shaq to sit on him. We got Everybody had a roll of tape. We taped him up. We just put tape all on, like, this, you know, athletic tape. We put him on a luggage cart and then take him down to the luggage cart and just put him on the elevator and hit all the buttons and just let him go up and down the elevator. And we told the hotel, just let him, don't, we'll come back and get him in about an hour. Nobody mess with him. So guess what gets open and they look like, ooh, and just close it back. And it's like nobody tried to help because they understood that, you know, here's a rookie, you know, being defiant. But I know, you know, I always had good rookies. No rookie ever tried to stand up to me. I remember, you know, Mark Masson was my rookie. Uh, Steve Nash, believe it or not, was my rookie in, um, uh, in Phoenix, so I, I everybody you know pretty much come on Rook, let's go out. All right, Rook, pick me up. Everything was done. They was done. You know they, they did it to a T. They they knew better than I guess you know talk back to the vet, especially at the time a vet with rooms. 
Kevin Willis, uh, that was one. That was that was that was one one guy I, I never would have messed with. You know, being a rookie, um, I think we had James. No, uh, who was our rookie that year? Jan Mahimi, I want to say was uh, was around when uh, K Dub was there, and uh, Jan didn't do something, and K Dub put that 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 big old uh, bicep around his neck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was like, hey, when you come back over here, it's going to be different. Being that, you know, be, being Jan was over in France. So Ricky Dowdle, they run and tell. And, you know, they, they go tell, and the coaches be like, they so fragile. Well, we don't want to mess up his psyche. Leave him alone. <laughs> Leave him alone. Okay. Well, we're going to stay right there with the teams. You know, let's talk about the, the Lakers years. Um, talk about just – what was it like to, to to from a guy that went from Alabama to Houston? You know, two kind of slow southern the cities, Phoenix. You know, kind of in there a little bit, but then going to LA. You know, I've I've never lived in LA. I've been there a few times for work, but I just always feel like it's a culture shock when I go to LA, or I'm just too slow for LA. You know, talk about just what it was like making that transition. You know, you know, going to LA. I think the hardest part for me was learning how to get around and beat traffic. <laughs> you know, after a while, you understand that when, you, when you're when you an athlete, you know, your life is a little bit different from, you know, most people. And, and the fact that we were the Lakers, we were in the spotlight, and, the, you know, the spotlight shined on this team like no other. And playing with Shaq, playing with Kobe, even when we had Dennis Rodman and, and Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones and all those guys, you know, the light spotlight was always on the Lakers. So, for me, I just used to just go to practice, you know, and, and run home. You know, my biggest thrill when I first got to L.A. was to come home and watch the news because, like, every day there was some type of chase, some type of shootout. I don't know if you remember this. I remember, like, my first couple of weeks in L.A. was when they had the shootout with the guys in the armor and they robbed the bank and they, 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 they got the uh, full body armor on. They're walking down the street just shooting people. I'm like, wow. It's like I used to run home just to watch the news, but – the thing that people don't understand, you know, they think because you have the money, you got you playing this, this, this elaborate sport that it's easy just to pack up and go to another city. It's not because you have to find a place to live. You got to like the teammates you're playing with. You got to find a place for your school, for your kids. You got to find a barbershop. You got these little things like that that people don't understand. You got to find a place to, you know, back then most guys, you know, nobody had chef back then. You know, you had to find a place that, you know, that could, you know, get you the right food if you wasn't cooking. So it's a lot of things that come into play. And being in L.A., it made it a little bit easier for that because everybody was so conscious about eating healthy and doing stuff like that. But still, though, big city, got to get around. And when you talk about temptations, there's no temptations in, the, in any other place like L.A. L.A. is one of the top places for temptation as far as, like, you know, how you say sex, money, and drugs, those three things. <laughs> so you, you have to be very, very leery of it. All right, we're going to get some of this behind-the-scenes stuff. As much as you can tell, because we know it's an it's a unwritten rule. that something that you see that you can't, can't say. You know, yeah. give, us, give us a story from behind the scenes. Your first year in L.A., um, I, I asked you that because I, I interviewed Samaki Walker a couple, a couple months ago. And he mm -hmm. talked about making that transition from the Spurs, Dallas, to L.A. It's just the spotlight's on you so much, you can't Samaki really – Samaki loved it. Samaki was shades everywhere he went. He yeah. loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> – so just talk about just that, like you said, being a Laker, you know what I'm saying? Like you get the red carpet treatment everywhere, you know, the premieres and free meals. Just talk about some of the stuff that, like, the benefits of being a Laker as opposed to then being a Clipper. 
uh, you know, for me, you know, I think the, the biggest thrill for me was just one night uh, uh, I got a phone call and it was from uh, Jack Nicholson invite me to a party at his house. I'm like, how did, first of all, how did you get my number? You know, knowing the fact that if I was just some Joe Schmo, he wouldn't have invited me to a party. You know, I got a phone call from Selma Hayek one time. You know, you get all these phone calls from people just to say congratulations. They appreciate what you do. And for me, in the Selma Hayek call, she invited me to the premiere of her movie, Frida. And I'm just thinking, okay, I've never met this person in my life. I guess she just invited me. And when I get there, she runs over to me, hugs me, and she's like, you have to sit next to me. I'm like, okay. I'm like, this is like one of the biggest thrills. Like, at the time, she was dating Edward Norton. I'm like, boy, I'm about to knock Edward Norton on, throw you over my shoulder and kidnap you, girl. Cause, you know, that's when she had just did Dust the Dawn and she was looking all sexy. And so... You have you have the situation that then you have the ugly situations where you know people trying to get a come up. Uh, I remember at the car wash one time and I get a call from Mitch Kupchak who's the GM. He's like, uh, "Where are you?" I says, and my first mind is on Ben Trade. He's like, "I said, you need to come in right now." I said, "Okay." I go in and he says, "This girl is suing you for sexual harassment." I'm like, "What girl?" She said that you know you you were at a club. You know, and see why it is. I don't. I don't smoke weed. Never have. I'm a big component of you know, you know, saying no to drugs. She said that I was at the bar snorting cocaine, and I made her drop down to her knees and do you know what? And I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm like, are you serious? I thought it was like, okay, this is this is a practical joke, right? You you messing with me? And so literally, I'm on the phone with her, her lawyer. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I said, I don't even know who you are. Come to find out, it was a girl that was at the at a club, and she was trying to talk to me, and I won't pay her no attention. But yet she was she she tried to sue me for sexual harassment. I was like, look, look, I said I'll take a polygraph. You can do a drug test right now. All that'll prove that she's telling a lie. And you know, come to find out, of course, you know she was lying, and she did this to a couple of different athletes trying to find an athlete would just say, you know what, go away. Here's somebody, go away. And I said, I'm not giving you money because I know I'm innocent. Never, don't even know you. So you have situations like that where you have to be careful and, you know, and, and understand that there are people out there just trying to get a come up because they know who you are and they know you have money. Tell us about this, the shot, the, the Lakers shot. What, 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 what is this about? Oh, man, you know, there's so many shots in my career. You know, you experience a couple when you're on the sideline, but, you know, everybody, yeah. Always talks about the shot against the Sacramento Kings, and um, because it, the Kings thought it was their year, um, they were battling. They thought they had the best record in basketball, and they came across us in our building. Everybody wants to talk about the controversies. Uh, this, this is this series is probably the one most controversial series of all time because they want to talk about you know I think that what's the the rep that Zen Jail talks about um, him cheating. I'm like, if you go back and look at the series, there were bad calls on both sides. I'm like, just because of, you think C. Webb can't get in foul trouble, you think Shaq, these guys, they do foul. They do do things to get them in foul trouble, not because, and, and, and it's not just in the playoffs, in the regular season, it's at any moment. So people are like, oh, there's so many discrepancies in this game. They shot more free throws. I said, yeah, because they foul. I'm like, this ain't the Utah Jazz who can get away with fouling and not going to the free throw line. But, you know, the shot was probably one of the most – um, memorable moments in my career, you know, I, I have a bunch. And for me to be able to, you know, hit it at home in a Laker uniform at the time, you know, I grew up a Laker fan, grew up a big Magic Johnson fan. 
And to do it on that stage and, and to have everybody in L.A. love me for one shot and a lot of basketball people that love me for that shot, it, 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 it's, it's, it's very satisfying. It's really satisfying when I go to Vegas because I was running to somebody who was a pay for my dinner or my drinks because they tell me that shot made them a lot of money. You know, I, you know, my mom loves you. My daughters <laughs> love you. Um, and it was crazy because my mom's all, my mom's a huge Laker fan. She's been a Laker fan from, from the time. And uh, it was always, you know, it was one game that I always say you can come to, and that would be the Laker, that would be the Laker game. And, uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's crazy because my mom remembers that shot. You know, mm-hmm. even though you had a lot, of sh- a lot of big shots, like you said, I especially remember the one in Detroit. And, you know, I got a picture of that one still. But uh, that, Laker, that Laker shot stands out still to this day. Yeah, it's because it's the Lakers, you know, one of the most iconic um, you know, sports franchises in the world. You know, you, if you name five sports franchises that are iconic, you know, they're going to be number one along with, you know, that, that terrible team. I think he has a hat of them on his wall over there. I'm not going to mention them. I'm not a cowboy fan, but I just mentioned them. Don't hate, don't hate, don't hate. <laughs> but you know, you know, you think if you think of a sports franchise, you got Lakers, Cowboys, Yankees. You know, those are the top three. And you know, I'm not. I'm just talking about in America. So you, you think doing that on their court, in their building, in that stage, and in that moment, you know, in the playoff moment, you know, coming back from the you know twenty some twenty two points down. So it means a lot for me, though. I just think in. I, I still love the shot against the um, Detroit Pistons because for me, as a player, I love sticking a dagger to someone in their building. So that, that shot that last year that Dame hit on uh, OKC and uh, the shot that Mario Ellie hit uh, back in the day that gets a death. Yeah. So yeah. when guys hit these shots like this, you know, the shot that Kyrie hit uh, over uh, to win to, for the Cavs to win the championship, you know that yeah. feeling what it's like to hit that shot. And how memorable yeah. that is, how gratifying that is. You know, for me, it's I think it's a little bit more gratifying because all those guys, you know, outside of Mario that hit that shot, they're taking shots constantly through the game. You know, you get the rhythm. You know, you got the ball in your hand. You know, the rest of us are sitting over here when you don't have a shot. Okay, we got to shoot. You got to throw it to us. So, for us to be able to step up at that moment, you know, I look at like Pax and Steve Kerr. You know, those guys who played with Michael Jordan understand he's going to take the shot, and all of a sudden. Here the ball comes, you got to knock it down, or you might not ever get the ball again. You know, you, you have to do those things. And for me, you know, you look at a play in the huddle, you know, I get, I get asked this question, like, how many times was the play drawn up for you? I'm like, zero. But I know if I'm second option, the play is for me. In my mind, I say, oh, this play is for me. Because nine times out of ten, nobody's going to let the head of a snake kill you. So, of course, you know, from Kobe driving and kicking Timmy in the corner in Portland, you know, from Manu throwing the ball to Manu in the corner, he kicked back me. It's just so many moments where, you know, I knew the play was for me, except for that play against, you know, Detroit. It wasn't for me. You know, and that's the thing that pisses me off. In that series, people don't know and understand. I, I scored all those buckets because every shot I took was forced. Pop ran not one play for me. When someone's that hot, you should at least run one play for them. Not one play. That play from out of bounds wasn't for me either. It was for me to set a pick on Manu and him to go to the basket and, like, Thank you, Rasheed, for biting on the pass and, you know, trying to trap him. And I got a shot. I told someone, if I'd have caught the ball at half court, I was so hot, I'd have probably pulled it from there. Because when you that hot, it don't matter where you're on the court, you feel like you got the confidence to knock it down.
Thanks for checking out part two of the Robert Ory Legendary Legend series. He talked about some cool stories from the time that he had to switch positions from playing small forward to power forward, what to look for in today's game, and some of his favorite teammates he ever played with. Stay tuned for part three of the Legendary Legend series with Robert Ory, where he talks about all three of the Hall of Fame coaches he's played for, Rudy T, Greg Popovich, and Phil Jackson. He talked about some of his favorite shooters of all time. And he talked about how to keep your body healthy to prolong your career over an extended period of time. Till next time, peace. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.